Welcome to Andy, James, Pavan and Andre Talk Money Stuff. The information we discuss is not advice. We are not financial advisors. We have not considered your personal circumstances. Do your own research. Please listen to the full disclaimer at the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. Alright, we're on. It's uh-huh, episode 35. What's the date? 12th of March. Uh, if we sound a little bit different today, it's because we're having IT issues, so we're recording from two centrally placed microphones in the middle of the room. Everyone, I'm sorry. Um, and but we've got it. We've got the whole crew here today. We've got we've got Parlins back. Um, uh, uh, Andy was talking about taking his name off the uh, off the title of the show and putting his name twice. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> really appreciate it. A friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> So yeah, we've got a, a couple of things going on here um, this, this week. A few big things there um, with the uh, the collapse of the banks <clears throat> in America. Singular at this stage, or two? Oh, it's two. Yeah, it's it's two. Two little ones. Yeah. Silvergate. Yeah. Silvergate um, and Silicon Valley. Just right? anything that has SI at the yeah. beginning, stay away from it. And uh, t- Perth Mint. Turns out Perth Mint's got a dirty bum. <laughs> so um, hoping to talk a bit about that, um, and then a few other few other small things there, but. So, uh, which one do you want to tackle first? Collapse of the banks? Andy, you sent out some I tweets think, yesterday. Yeah, we, we can do the dirty bum on Perth Mint first because I think that's pretty fast. Is it? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. So, um... Oh, yeah, I was good during the week. Thank you. Oh, yeah, how was your week, Andy? Yeah, I was all right. I was away in Sydney. Yeah. What'd you do? Oh, went to a bar and got drunk and then went there again and didn't get drunk. But, yeah. Was that, that, is, this, is this your bar? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How was it? Did, yeah, did do right. people know you're, you're an owner when you go there? Yeah, I nearly got kicked out of my own bar, I reckon. Like, <laughs> really? I, was, I was pretty happy on Thursday. It is I, reckon definitely- I reckon I was close to getting kicked out of my own bar. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, yeah. then it's definitely an ethically run business. It's what? If the owners are getting kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least the RSA policy is being followed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was good. But I, I think... Um, like, you know, they talk about health and, and longevity. I, yeah. I, no, I speculate after feeling dehydrated that maybe they're going to find, like, it's, like, a lot of health just boils down to the hydration of cells. Because the times I feel the most crap, I feel kind of, like, dry, you know, with a cold or whatever. I feel like I'm just, like, dehydrated at a cellular level. So I, I suspect that maybe there'll be health breakthroughs based on my limited experience of I, that. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that fasting is good because uh, the first thing your body goes for when, you know, it hasn't got enough food is, like, old cells. So in mm. terms of, like... It uh, eats can- the old cells. Yeah, yes, yeah. So lowers your risk of cancer. Don't know if it's true or not, but it sounds plausible. Mm. I heard there's something, too, that, like, um, I don't know what it is, like, barbarians eat three times a day, um, practitioners eat two times a day, and yoga masters eat one time a day. Or something like that. But, yeah. yeah, I've heard of this as well. I mean, this is a very well-known Indian philosophy uh, that if you want to stay healthy like a yogi or someone, then you got to eat only once a day. And that too, what fits into your palm, two palms like this. Mm. This is the human need, actually. <clears throat> so, Just for one day? Just for one day. This is enough. Enough of rice or enough of wheat. Whatever comes into your mm. two palms joined together, 
is enough for the need of a human being. Yeah. This is a very well known philosophy. I, I was um I went to India and did like a yoga course and and the guys were really well regarded the yoga people mm-hmm. and um I was shocked to learn that a dude who I thought was close to 100 was like 60 and his son who I thought was close to 60 was like 30 and I'm like these guys look like they're on death's door but they're the yoga masters I'm like yoga can't be that healthy <laughs> if that's how these guys look. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, you know everything everything about health is more to do with how you look and feel as well uh not mm. not not how you feel but how you look uh, and i think you know going to the gym getting a six pack ab and everything it's it's easily marketable uh than a yoga mm. uh, or something and that's why possibly you know it's it has very less as people who take up yoga or something else they had or very, anything that is healthy for that matter they had very unyouthful skin Yeah. Their skin made them yeah. look incredibly old. And then yeah. like apparently like I don't know if you eat meat, but apparently meat actually hydrates the cells more than anything else. Yeah. So there you go. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. In terms of like what so you're more healthy if you eat meat? Yeah, apparently. Like the actual availability and the way your body converts um food, it actually converts meat to give you more hydration than other things. How do you explain gorillas but How do you explain camel's humps? I don't know. Exactly. What is that's like fat and, uh, and the water stored in the fat. Mm. And I think yeah, it releases more water molecules. I I don't know. This is not a finance. I I'm just going to say that you know I'm, I'm not sure what the hell but I at least I know one thing that if you eat meat you're definitely wealthy. <laughs> no matter what part of the world you live in. So uh, yeah. How about you James? Oh, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't got any uh anything uh in particular. No, yeah. no, you know, long weekend, so no soccer. So yeah, um, did you anything in the news caught your eye besides the what we've mentioned? Uh, no, no. Um, uh, yeah, like I guess there's a few things going down at the moment. So that's yeah, that's you know, especially with the those you well the crypto bank and the US mm. um, Silicon Valley bank going down. So yeah, um, but uh, yeah, markets seem to be a little bit volatile over the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've uh, the S and P's down below below four thousand. I saw it's down like thirty eight hundred at the moment or something. So it's quite a big drop actually from when it was at its peak a couple of weeks ago. So, but um, yeah, how about you, Pawn? Mm. Nothing much. I think it's been a uh, busy few weeks, uh, and and that's the reason mm. or excuse that I was <laughs> and last three sessions. Yeah, uh, but it's good to be back. It's great to be back, and uh, even better to hear that Andy was. Uh, Uh, proposing to take my name off. It didn't actually happen. James is making that up. <laughs> no, I'm dying on that. So uh, it was just the bit about him putting his, an extra name on. <laughs> He just wanted his name twice. Yeah. That's it. It's like so, parenthesis. Yeah, good. But then uh, otherwise, being a, I'm not sure if I should if I qualify to be called a gold bug uh, within across the table. But then. Uh, devastated to see the Perth Mint news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a bit like. Uh, so what was the news? So so Perth Mint it turns out that they have um uh they've been a bit shonky in terms of their purity of gold purity of gold so they've been uh doping gold that hasn't been meeting the standards in particular the Shanghai Gold Exchange um they didn't meet their their um they had too much silver in it by 0.001% or something um and also they haven't been uh doing due diligence with their money laundering and and anti-crime 
AML, um, anti-money laundering. And yeah, yeah. terrorism financing. Yeah, that's it. Those are the terms. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so they're in a bit of trouble. And uh, from the, the articles that I was reading, the, it looks like, you know, they might get walloped with like $10 billion worth of fines from uh, from Austrac. Um, ten billion from Austria. Ten billion. If there's a fine. Oh, per- there's more to this. I thought it was just a gold bars, and I thought, uh, okay, yeah, no, yeah. ten ten billion dollars of the fines, and that's probably most likely going to be footed by the Western Australian taxpayer. So, well, if it's a government-owned thing, then maybe, yeah, yeah, because it's per offence, and they they it sounds like they had some. They have like system. five five thousand offences or something, like five thousand bojo transactions that they haven't checked out, yeah. and and because they had. Um, uh, their largest, the largest holder in the Perth Mint is a Russian oligarch, Victor Vex, Vexelberg. Um, and also they had a relationship with the Bank of Cyprus where they would, uh, the Bank of Cyprus would bundle clients as one purchase. So it would like hide their identity. Lots of Russians in Cyprus in the old days, at least. Anyway, and that's what, they, so. that's what they were talking about. So there's like, a, you know, uh, essentially because once you, you buy the gold and it's been melted and stuff, it's like super clean. And there was also another sort of little side story um, where they got footage of a, a, a well-known uh, person of interest in Perth that uh, just went into the into the uh, gift shop and bought like ten ounces of gold, and all they did was ask for his license. They didn't, you know, and it's and I think the threshold is like two or five thousand dollars where you got to start giving like ten thousand. Yeah, I thought it was ten, but but it's oh, over, it, was, it was over the limit. Is the yes, the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was like twenty seven thousand worth yeah. of gold, and uh, yeah, so they were just like yeah, whatever. And this and is imagine like a, if um, the people who work at Perth Mint are like libertarian gold bugs, and they think it's not the government's right to know what you're doing with your transactions, <laughs> yeah. so they, on principle, don't police that ten thousand dollar rule. Yeah. Now I, I did Peter Schiff. <coughs> Had a, um, we kind of sometimes has these kind of whiny, whingy like podcasts about when he feels like he's been hard done by. Yeah. But um, he was basically saying that, that the Four Corners piece was a big hit job and they they did do a little bit, talk a little bit about um, Euro Pacific Bank in, where is it, like the Cayman Islands or something. Um, oh, it was Puerto, 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 Rico. Puerto Rico. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Puerto yeah. Rico. Um, but but he he was strongly of the opinion that the whole story was a, was a hit piece on the on the um, Perth Mint, and um, he was saying, for instance, that that his bank um, uh, uh, basically does the. Um, can, what is it? Uh, Any money laundering, counterterrorism stuff, mm. and then themselves. The bank, as a wholesale client, then purchases gold on behalf of these clients. Yeah. Um, and basically, you're saying that part of the allegation was that there was no anti-money laundering, counterterrorism financing checks being done. But he was saying, no, 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 they're done. They're done by the bank that then, as a wholesale client, comes in and you know purchases on behalf of the people that they've already done the. So the bank's, bank's, the so bank's effectively the retailer. And they're coming to the Perth Mint as wholesale. So it does make sense the burden's on the retailer. Mm. And But this is the, so the Bank of Cyprus. Yeah, it was another. another Aren't they known to be shonky? But they At may, least they according, may to, be, the, and according again, to Four Corners? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. This is, this is, this is, back in 2013, Cyprus actually sold its gold bullion reserve from the country itself. 
and they kind of liquidated quite a substantial amount of gold. Because that was when they were seizing bank accounts and things like that, was it? Is that, yeah, is some, that... some, somewhere back in 2013, yeah. I was just doing a ref check as well. Yes, 2013 it was that uh, they diluted a massive amount of gold reserve, mm. which the country was holding. Mm. And uh, the gold prices came down. Mm. Uh, I was back in India then and mm. I remember that event happened because the gold prices went really low. Mm. So, yeah, so uh, I'm not sure that since when they have started, uh, you know, putting gold back in, but it could be one of the banks. It's, it's not unbelievable that Four Corners has done a hit piece in journalism. Like, it's that, it's that kind of show, isn't it, that does that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean I've seen other uh, Four Corners programs, uh, for instance, in the financial advice area, where it's quite clearly been... Um, uh, things have been presented in a way that is, you know, deliberately kind of... Sensationalised. Sensationalised and left out... Getting people to draw conclusions. Yeah, yeah, from stuff that... And if you leave out specific information, then it makes it a lot worse than what it is. It was my interpretation of some some previous things I've seen. But, you know, I mean, it is the national broadcaster, so it's probably not the worst source of information out there. Oh, it's ABC, is it? Yeah. Oh, I might have been thinking it's just like a current affair and it's one of those other ones but yeah. it's kind of like the abc version of, of a current affair. affair so it's probably it's probably higher quality than a current affair but how dare you there's some dude i think he's like the, he's like a current affair journalist or a four corners journalist or one of those kind of shows so they like badger people and harass them and get them to answer questions to the public or whatever like you know those journalists he ended up being a pedo and it's like, I wonder if his own show then goes and <laughs> four corners all a current affairs him. Mm. It's like, do you have anything to say to the victims and all that? Because that would be like, you know, a great irony, obviously. Did that happen? Or you just, no. uh, you're, you're no, proposing it? No, it's a thing. Like some, some ex, um, you know, one of those kind of journalists end yeah. up being a, a, a pedo. And, yeah. yeah, right. But like, shouldn't the journalist be going after him now and doing that to him? Mm. Uh, getting him to answer mm. questions on his front door? Yeah, I kind of but feel like Australia has a habit of waiting for it to turn up on four corners before they start dealing with it. Mm. It's like it's always like, you know, they're discussing in Parliament something and then it's like, oh, as said on four corners last week. Oh, right. There you go. Cardinal Pell, maybe he was on it too. Yeah, probably. (laughs) From the channel or media point of view, I think it's more about getting their TRPs high. Uh, No matter what it takes, they'll go to any length. Yep. Or bread for that matter. Mm. So So insights of the, the ramifications of this and also... If I'm not money laundering and I'm just using it as a financial vehicle, do I have anything to worry about? No. And I mean, the reality is, as the buyer, you don't have anything to worry about. The AML thing, you know, they is it SafeTrack? Is that part of that? But Aus- Austrack. Austrack, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, like, that's um, that's on them to, to work out if you're a money launderer mm. and whatever. Like, you know, you can go and buy a car. Mm. You don't have to worry about buying a car. Like, in a transactions at a certain amount, it triggers... Um, but they'll take more information. I mean, if anything, maybe you, you go like, well, I'm worried the government is monitoring me and, and can can monitor me in aggregate mm. as much as they possibly can. But what about like in terms of like losing losing holdings and stuff like that? Say I've got like, you know, unallocated gold or something. Uh, it's like, is the place going to fall over? Yeah. Well, well, actually, imagine this. You've got unallocated gold. And they're like, you don't have any proof. And then you're like, well, actually, I triggered a whole bunch of AML stuff. <laughs> so there's a massive paper record in the government saying I bought it. <laughs> Maybe but, imagine that bailed you out. But, but, but a libertarian being bailed out by the um, AML laws. Isn't, isn't it kind of the opposite with Perth Mint because it's government backed? So it, yeah. would, it wouldn't 
like uh, even if they were I mean one having unallocated gold probably isn't a problem it just means that they've got the gold there mm. but they just haven't said you know you've got you know an ounce of gold with Perth Mint but they mm. you don't know which ounce it is yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so do, we, got, do we know they've got the gold there though James well there's uh, no we, no, no, there we not, not the people in the room but theoretically yes they do the customers that were walking in on four corners uh, look like they believe that the gold was in there there's all this like sort of weird conspiracy gold buggy people walking in through the door buying stuff trench coats so, <laughs> so here's the thing so you know, I think the matter of worry for uh, and what is what is there for Perth Mint to lose in this case is as is actually the trust factor with it because it's not only about unallocated mm. gold. Mm. Yep. There is a program that they run which is mm. which has the largest subscription called Allocated Gold yep. where you can actually uh, of choose your bars <coughs> with yep. specific numbers and everything and with doping charges yep. and, and if anyone who's yep. not used allocated gold or unallocated gold but they've mm. taken physical delivery mm. of the gold now they are in living in doubt that I've taken Perth Mint gold bar mm. and that has that's not yeah. pure gold. So oh, what has been promised? I don't know about this doping thing. Um, I read a little bit. Yeah. Apparently, it's pretty standard mm-hmm. to dope to some extent, and there's thresholds, and it's just that the Shanghai one or whatever, like, demands 100% purity or, or whatever it is, or, or but for yeah, apparently yeah, their, their threshold for silver is 0.000. 0. 0.005 and Perth was doing 0. 0.006. Yeah, so like apparently like Shang, that Shanghai one or whatever has got higher standards, like the highest maybe, and apparently they weren't paying for the doped portion. So they were still paying for the gold they got apparently. Yeah. Um, they weren't paying extra. So they're actually getting free silver. <laughs> or, or maybe they'll pay some silver amount, but yeah. So yeah, like, it wasn't. It wasn't from what I read. It wasn't because I initially thought, oh, has Perth Mint been like effectively coin clipping yeah. on this? But what I read was they weren't coin clipping, and from the so many bars of gold they sold, it only like quotation marks reduced the price, like the cost by like was it a half million dollars or five million dollars or something? Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, it didn't look very drastic. And then apparently they weren't ever being charged further. Doped part. Oh. And, yeah, I th- and, and I think, um, did they even, who raised it? Did Perth, did the Perth Mint raise it initially? And it was only on a smaller run or something? I don't know, but like, yeah, I initially. Right. So they, fuck, they leave, there's a lot of stuff gets left I, out. I, I initially read it, like, and I was like, oh, this sounds pretty bad. Then I did more, a bit, bit more research. So I'm like, ah, it doesn't sound that bad at all mm. for the gold doping part. And, and to, to me, in the end, it's kind mm. of like, you know, even even if with without all that, even if you'd bought a you know, a bar of gold and it was, instead of being, you know, 99.995% gold, it was actually just 99.99% gold. Mm. Um, I mean, what is really the the cost to you? I mean, obviously you've got almost identical amounts of gold. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's you know, a lot less than the share market would move on a single day. Mm. Um the difference. I think there was a thing though that they either delayed disclosure or debated whether they should do disclosure. There was some something that wasn't mm. a good look. Yep, yep. Around disclosure. Yep. With them. I think it's more something that does suggest yeah. trustworthiness issues. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, 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 you know, a place like Perth Mint, which is not only just backed by the Australian government, but the uh, West Australian West government, Australian government, but then also. Uh, 
uh, you know, which has built its reputation over mm. decades, mm. Uh, and for them to be questioned mm. uh, or or people raising doubts to the extent that now London Bullion Market is investigating that doping charges, mm. uh, starting from this month or maybe next month or whatever. Mm. Uh, I, I think that just raises questions about the integrity of the mm. you know of of a place which yeah. is meant to be. Hundred uh, percent gold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so even the dilution is like point zero zero one percent or whatever. It's raising questions on your integrity, mm. bit of it. And I think that's possibly is the biggest mm. loss. And, and in, in some ways, it's kind of reassuring because if they're making this bigger fuss over a small amount of, um, you know, uh, percentage of gold, um, you know, you, you could probably have quite a high degree of confidence in the gold market in general. If, mm. if you know, this is a scandal. Um, you know, to me, it's kind of like, you know, my portfolio moves like much more than that every day. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you know percentages, it's, it seems it seems you know from a I guess a not a not gold person. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems pretty trivial uh, from the outside, but if they're taking it that seriously, or well, obviously they do take these things quite seriously. The metals exchanges. Mm. 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 As long as it's not nickel, that's. There's like, you know, the nickel thing that happened like a year ago where nickel prices skyrocketed and some Chinese person had a massive um, short position on it and was going to go completely belly up and then the London Metals Exchange um, stopped trading on nickel and then reversed prices and it happened to get the Chinese businessman out of a massive hole and then it turned out that like the Chinese owned the London Metals Exchange. And oh. You guys didn't hear about any of this nickel stuff? No, no, I remember now that you're yeah. saying it, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's that's pretty much what happened, and yeah, that that reputation for yeah. that exchange now, it's like well, you know, yeah. can traders trust that exchange? So, Pawan, how, mm. how do you feel about this this Perth Mint stuff? Oh, uh, kind of a little shocking news because I yeah. think I, uh, I mean, I mean, like not not advice, but you you have holdings there. Yes, mm. uh, and mm. as an investor, I was I was obviously not very comfortable with knowing that. Uh, you know that this these kind of uh, doubts have been raised, mm. and now there is an investigation going on. But then I haven't diluted my position. I don't think I will. You don't have to I'll dilute your position. The Perth Mint doesn't for you. We <laughs> 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 can sell it at spot price yeah. within one minute. The Not other thing is, Parwin thought he had seconds. gold holdings. Now he's so happy he has gold and silver holdings. <laughs> <laughs> see, Diversification, like that dude on the telephone yeah, see, was talking see, about. You're from the era, Andy, where you. You know, you you uh, you have the currency issued by the central government where it says, in what is that? In in banks we trust. Uh, I hold gold because in gold I trust. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll rest it at that. Yeah, no, no I'm fine, but I'm gonna. Indian Indian cultural value, hold gold. I sleep well. I sleep well at night. I got my money in this um bank in California. It's um one of the bigger <laughs> banks in the country. I'm all good. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, any, anything else on the on the Perth Mint before we move on? No, I think we should move on. Oh, but also, did, did, did I talk about the spot price? So, just looking at the spot price now, it's it's quite high. So, when I started buying in, in gold in, in 2021, it was about 2350 Yep, Australian dollars. And Australian dollars, an ounce, and now it's uh, 28.48. So it's, it's pretty much, in Australian dollars, gold price is pretty much record high. Yeah, that's like a, you, you, uh, when Ukraine kicked off, I remember it spiked yep. to about what it is now, yep. <coughs> and uh, it's it's back there. So 
You did uh, do you reckon that's because of the bank stuff that's going on in America or well, it does look like there was a little bit of a flight like I think gold went up and the Australian dollar went down um, yes. so yeah. so you get that that combination of, of mm. stuff but if you look at I mean I, I normally look at the um, gold ETF on the ASX just to you know yeah. as a proxy for for gold price that's but it, the GDX. No, that's the gold miners. It's oh, the G- it's just G O L D. G O L D. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, uh, but um, so, but that's if you look at, I mean, the the chart actually looks really nice for that in terms of, you know, Australian dollars. Yeah. Long term chart. It just looks like, oh, this is you know, a steady slope up. Sometimes it levels off for a bit and then mm. it might come down a little bit, but then sort yeah. of steady steady track back up again. Um, so we just quite different to you know obviously US dollar gold price mm. um, it's just it just looks like much more of a um, a you know a consistent uh, asset return in Australian dollars than yeah. than in US dollars where you know it's normally measured so not not bad if you started buying we're just look we're on uh, on marketindex.com.au looking at uh, at the 20 year price for gold um, so back in 2004 it was like 5 bucks a share Mm. And now we're at like 20, <clears throat> 26 bucks, 25 bucks. Mm. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I mean, there, there's, there's not really a lot of really big drawdowns. Mm. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just, it's quite interesting because normally, you know, you hear about it quoted in US dollars or whatever. And mm. um, then it's, you know, there was quite a big drawdown from 2011 to when was it 2016 or whatever. Yeah. But in Australian yeah. dollars, it's much, much smoother. Yeah. Spiked quite a lot in the last five years, I think, about 70% uh, upwards movement in the last five years, yeah, which yeah. is not bad. Because mm. yeah, that's one thing I did notice, like with, with everything that's happened over the last couple of years, was that it just came, seemed, seemed to keep trudging on. Mm. Like while other mm. things were like the asses falling out of them, there was like there was no sort of big backwards steps or anything. Mm. It just kind of, even though it didn't grow massively, it just sort of kept trudging on. Yep. And... Uh, and it's interesting with the say with the the gold miners seem to um, kind of it's almost like they seem to track the U.S. gold tr- price a bit more, mm. um, but um, you know, but the I guess the bullion itself seems to mm. um, have a you know a, yeah I mean I would have thought that that you you would get an exaggerated move in terms of gold miners relative to the gold price. Mm. You know, if you're buying Australian gold miners, say, yeah. um, but it, it, they seem to be more kind of closely, more closely linked to the the US gold price. Do you have a reason for that, Andy? Or? Uh, I remember when I was a bit of a gold bug that I was very surprised that the price would potentially go down in US dollars, but go up in Australian dollars. Mm-hmm. And then the gold miners in Australia would also go down. And it's kind of like, well, if the underlying product they're selling has gone up, why is their share price going down? So I did notice that pattern. Um, I don't have a reason yeah. for it. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't see anything like, you know, they don't seem to be hedging a lot of their future deliveries in US dollars or anything like that. I just couldn't, I couldn't see a reason for it anyway. Mm. Mm. All right, so let's move on to the uh, these collapse of the banks there. So uh, was it... Uh, Silicon Valley Bank in Silvergate Capital fall, fallen over and or closed down by the, the regulators. So what was Silvergate? That was one that was pretty big into crypto, was it? Yeah. Yep. 
And that one's been kind of like on the ropes for a while, is mm. that right? Yeah. But then Silver Silicon Valley Bank just within a few days was yeah. just done. Yeah, and um, you, you you had like a quite interesting tweet that you sent out, like an observance that like the the market recommending people it was like a strong buy until like two days ago. Or something. Oh yeah, there's a couple of these. Um, I'll try and find the tweets. One, Jim Cramer endorsed it. Yeah. Um, he's, al- he's also J- he's also said JP Morgan's safe, so good luck financial system now that Jim, Jim Cramer's ruined it for everyone. Um, and our top top 20 bank on Forbes, is, uh, I think it was Forbes magazine, came out of only a month ago or a couple of months ago. Yeah, and I think it was Indian a Moody's, Moody's rating of A. So yeah, Forbes magazine gave it a big endorsement, one of the top 20 banks in America, and um, I think Moody's gave it an A rating. Um you know, a couple of days ago or something. Um, I've got to find the tweet for that. I don't want to be stitching Moody's up if I'm wrong. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Sorry, cartoon. Have you seen this Elon Musk? T- yeah, I saw that. I was, I've, I've been on Twitter a fair bit. Um, better explain it if we're going to talk about it. Yeah, oh, this, so. this one as well. Um, the CEO apparently was a director, the CEO of this um, Silicon Valley bank, apparently, was a director at the San Francisco Fed from 2019 to present. So he's like on one of the Fed banks mm. and, um, yeah, seems to have a lack of grasp over, you know, risk in a bank. Like yeah. it's the second biggest, well, it's the biggest collapse since um, 2008, isn't it? And the second biggest bank collapse in American history or something? Yeah. 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 So there's just Lehman Brothers in front of them, right? I guess, oh, yeah. I think there was a mutual fund uh, scam which was possibly bigger than that. Yeah. Because mutual fund bank. Because weren't there in the GFC there were quite, some quite big banks like Washington wasn't Washington Mutual didn't that fall over and um, uh, and what about all the savings and loans when was that eighties? Yeah. Or maybe maybe it's the biggest since the GFC. Here's um here's a tweet from the bank proud to be on Forbes annual ranking of America's best banks for the fifth straight year and to have also been named the publication's inaugural finance be named to the publication's inaugural financial all-stars list. So that was from the bank five days ago. <laughs> it's like the internet doesn't forgive. That's, um, yeah, and, and, and just a lot of stuff on, on the ethics as well. Like, um, and I guess, you know, different perspectives. There's heaps of good tweets. This one's from someone called Stephanie Rule, R-U-H. L.E. Watching a group of dudes who normally preach from Ayn Rand's book of philosophy suddenly demand bite and rescue <laughs> SVIB depositors while simultaneously doing everything possible to cause more panic in markets <laughs> and around regional bank. It's a whole other level of hypocrisy. So that's, that's, that's a good one, I think. Um, so the world's richest people are screaming for taxpayers to bail them out because they crushed their own favourite bank, which was so badly run that it couldn't get in front of the most clearly telegraphed interest rate move ever. The only only possible response is, fuck that shit. That's from Alex Berenson. I wonder if these guys are happy they're getting um, cited on our show. It's like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm on on the podcast. (laughs) Have you got something from Ken Berenson? No, I don't know. AOC, she's... um, The regulators were there until SVB lobbied Congress to remove the guardrails that prevented this prevent this kind of crisis in the first place. Warnings were everywhere. SVB, like many gamblers before them, knew what they were doing. Let the FDIC open the books and see what it's working with. Um, 
Oh, How right. many of Silicon Valley folks who lobby Congress and Trump to cause this crisis are willing to admit they were wrong? I haven't seen one si- a single one of these guys crying for a bail. I haven't seen a single one of these guys crying for a bailout take a single ounce of accountability for their actions. It's honestly shameless. So um, the banks were lobbying to have Dodd Frank um, less strict. So it's kind of like the banks wanted less regulation, mm. and then this is what happens. So, mm. so uh, Parwin just sent me the list of largest U.S. bank failures. So you're right, um, you're right there, James. So Washington Mutual. Oh, that's Wamu. I saw a thing saying Wamu was massive. That's Washington Mutual, yeah. right? Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. So, and Lehman Brothers isn't even on this list, and there's like hundreds of banks. But so maybe that's because it's an investment bank, bank and it gets treated oh, differently. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. But I think so, that led to that 2008 mutual uh, Washington mutual collapse. They're all pretty recent, yeah. though. There's like a couple spattered in there from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah, because they they because the savings and loans. When was savings and loans in the US? The, the savings and loans crisis. Is that from Gibraltar slaving savings and loan? <laughs> uh, but what is also interesting is to see the uh, see the uh, the the uh, value of the assets that they had so the mm. top two washington mutual which was 2008 was mm. 307 billion <laughs> silicon valley 209 mm. and the third one third highest is only 40 billion mm. so this is i guess the other thing is the in these just raw figures like they're they're not inflation adjusted figures so a, yeah. a 40 billion from the from 1984 might actually be a lot like a lot more like might be as substantial or more substantial than yeah. washington mutual so for anyone that's listening, we're just on Wikipedia and there's a list of uh, largest United States bank failures there. Because those ones in the, I take it that savings and loans was the late 80s from just the 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 dates of some of those yeah. bigger ones. Well, we can rank them by date, actually. So there's this um, mm. James Lavish on Twitter said SVB had a Moody's credit rating of A just three days ago. So again, like, you know, what's going on? Like, Regulators not picking up on this. Ratings agencies giving them A's. Um, magazine saying they're wonderful. Jim Cramer yeah. saying, you know, it's a, I think you were saying it's a buy. Um, oh, so they got the Jim Cramer touch of death, did they? Yeah, but he said JP Morgan's rocks. He said, I think he called JP Morgan a fortress. So, like, that means that's going under two now. So that's that's a real worry. But that goes on that's systemic risk. Yeah, you know, that goes on to prove another thing that if your bank or your, 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 investment is being talked about in the news then it's actually the kiss of death Peter Peter Malik M-A-L-L-O-U-K not a single sell rating from any Wall Street firm covering SIVB says everything you need to know about the value of analyst recommendations and price targets it's like yeah I agree with you Peter so so I mean the other thing is as I understand it they they did have a bank run so it's hard to predict bank runs in advance like they had a whole lot of uh, depositors asking for cash back as um, you that that might be you know an issue with you know maybe they should have had uh, money locked in longer term deposits and things like that where funds couldn't be withdrawn but yeah, yeah. so it's all about capital adequacy ratio yeah yeah and so, so how so, much you have in deposit and yeah. how much people are withdrawing yeah, yeah. and if you over leverage that yeah. position yeah then obviously you could be in a position yeah but, but most most banks would be in a position where uh, if people went in and said, "I need all my money out now," yeah. um, that post haste, that yeah, they'd be they'd be. <laughs> so it, it might. That's what a bank run is, isn't it? It's mm. like um, 
Yeah, it's fractional reserve banking. You don't have as many deposits as you do in loans, typically. Yeah. Oh, oh, but but there's and you've got ratios you need to maintain. But but it's more of the issue that the money's loaned out. Like, what's the what's that? Um, what's the movie with the with the old movie with the bank run? Can't remember. But it's Mary, Mary Poppins. Poppins. Mary Poppins. There you go. Yeah. Jinx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, it's, where it's like, oh, I can't give you that money because it's in Bill's house, and you know, yeah, yeah. it's it's so the money. You know, the, the, it may very well be the case that they uh, have the assets to <coughs> back the withdrawals. Mm-hmm. They just don't. It's not, it's not liquid. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think in this case, yeah. though. So I wasn't listening to you guys because I was trying to find more Twitter quotes <laughs> to read. <laughs> um, I'll read this. I'll read this one. I can't find Andrew someone. So sorry, Andrew someone. I, I did a screenshot and I can't attribute it to you properly. Goldman Sachs maintains buy on S. SIV, oh sorry, SIVB raises price target to 312 and that was six days ago or, you know, maybe seven days ago now. I think I took this yesterday. Wells Fargo maintains overweight on SIVB, raises price target to three, 350. That was 22 odd days ago. Raymond James maintains outperform on SIVB, raises price target to 375, 34 days ago. Truist Securities maintains buy on SIVB, raises price target to 269, 45 days ago. Maxim Group, Maxim Group maintains buy on SIVB, lowers price target to 500, 45 days ago. Like, it really does just say, like, who, who on earth are these people that we're supposed to be listening to? Like, yeah. like even the bloody head of like, okay, so I, I don't earn as much as the CEO of this bank, I reckon. I reckon he's on a higher income. And I reckon the, the chief financial officer is, I think the chief risk officer is. But avid listeners might remember that, you know, many, many weeks ago I was talking about not having more than $250,000 in a, in a bank for um, deposit insurance yeah. and all that sort of stuff. You said that last um, week or the week before. Oh, it was, oh, it was only that long ago, right. Um, so I'm, I'm just some podcaster dude and I'm aware of, um, you know, risks for deposits. So is that and an Australian thing as well or just... I think just it's... US? A, yeah, well, US I think it's 250 I don't, mm. don't know what yeah, it is in Australia. Same number in Australia. US dollars, I guess, and then 250,000 Australian. But it's like, how are these guys getting so much money and just, you know, they bankrupted a, a massive bank, yet they're in good money. Like, how do they get these jobs? So, sorry, just this is my ignorance. What was the thing that sparked the bank run though because the bank run was what actually did it but what was the thing that's that made everyone oh because there was there was a capital raise that that no one was touching that was the so so they had um you you have to have collateral for your loans right um i might be wrong on this but this is my understanding you need collateral for your loans so they had collateral in the form of um u.s treasuries yep right but they bought them at like a one and a half percent yield, mm. and they bought ten year durations. Yeah, so lost so then their mark to market loss, right? Yep. So that affected their capital position. Yep, and they needed to do a capital raise. Yep, and I guess that in itself started to be a warning. Yep, to the market, they're doing a capital raise to shore up their balance sheet. Yep, at the same time, Peter Thiel, I think. Yep told all these people who were, you know, Silicon Valley types to withdraw. Yeah. So then that led to, I think, well, if it wasn't Peter Thiel, whatever, $40 billion got withdrawn yeah. from the bank, which I think was like one-fourth or thereabouts, one quarter of its um, deposits. Yeah. And then they were just screwed. Yeah. And that was it. And, like, a lot of people say this could happen to any bank, um, you know. It wasn't it wasn't them lending money to crypto bros or um, all these uh, 
unviable um, dot-com type businesses that did them in the end. It was buying what's supposed to be a really safe asset, treasuries, but buying long duration. But it is. It's like, like, why are you buying 10 years Mm. on that? Like, you know, there's there's risk in that. But, but, I mean, going back to all of... (laughs) I'm just going to slightly defend the, you know, people coming out with ratings and stuff like that. Um, you know, if, if you, you know, every bank, if you, if you, uh, you know, try to do a capital raise and you, you know, you, you, you look at your balance sheet, you go, oh, we've got to strengthen it up, and then you try to do a capital raise and you don't have any takers and then all, everyone turns up to take their money out, every bank is going to have trouble with that. Yeah, but um, it's hard to predict that in advance. But but the I, I agree with uh, James. I think look at the total assets mm. that is held by this bank is over two hundred billion dollars. Sorry, three hundred billion dollars worth of assets, and uh, uh, and and the deposits are like what two hundred fifty to sixty billion dollars. So the thing is, um, it, it seems to be the case that deposits up to two hundred fifty thousand US dollars are protected, right? Yeah. Their deposit base wasn't mom and dad depositors. Um, they had a highly concentrated deposit book, which meant that they're big, they're big players yeah. that I guess don't have that insurance, which means there's a bigger risk of a lot of money getting pulled like that. So in their own deposit base, there was that higher risk. Um, apparently... I don't know if this is true, but apparently it is. I've heard it from several sources. Apparently, they were lending money to startups on the condition that they deposit the money in the bank. So yeah, then, I read about the same. So then startups it's... will get a loan, and apparently they go to this bank because no one else wants to lend to them. So they're lending to startups that can't get money because maybe they don't deserve to get money, and then they insist you they deposit the money at the bank. I mean, that's um a bit of a red flag there. Um, so that's been the whole business model of this bank since 1983 right. since it was incepted they have been funding tech companies but then but insisting on the money being deposited back at the bank correct yes they have been doing so it's it, like so that's surviving like, with that model for a very long time it's like one hand washing the other hand isn't it it's like look we got deposits they're deposits that we made up but you, that's <laughs> another question that i have that you know like from investors retail investors point of view the annual report which was released only on around 28 24th of january this year uh did not raise any flags uh, on the anything. auditors didn't raise yeah, any the, flags the, the annual report did not the auditors you, you report you read the report not. I have seen the report I have not read through it completely but it did not did actually. it mark to market there have been did it do mark to market losses on the treasury holdings the 10 year treasury holdings so I haven't gone in depth mm. into reading the report but a few of the articles uh, around the annual report that it did not really highlight that the bank is in so much of trouble mm. that they need to raise 2 billion dollars uh, another thing which is uh, interesting enough is that uh, post the annual report and the auditor's report which was released, uh, the CEO of the company has uh, sold its shares in the company. I think several insiders were selling. Three million yeah. dollars. Yeah. And that was possibly the red flag, but it yeah. was not highlighted because he didn't have to file a 13F filing uh, for for every month. Yeah. It has to be done for a quarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it could not be raised. And possibly the moment it was, people got to learn about that, that he sold his position. Yeah. Uh, which is worth $3 million, and that's when the everybody rushed to take out the money. So the thing I find interesting about this is that if the losses, you know, if they've got, you know, a lot of banks would hold, you know, say, treasuries as collateral. Hmm. Um, so it's quite possible that there's a whole lot of banks out there with exactly the same 
the same problem. Going back to the British pension fund thing again, it's yeah. like, you know, that, that we talked about that not long ago, how like it seemed like nothing happened since that British pension mm. fund and now this happens like a yeah. week later. Mm. But yeah, like the, the same thing was mm. these entities holding long duration treasuries mm. at low yields when interest rates have gone up heaps. Yeah. It was the same thing with the British thing, the British pension issue. But but I, I, I guess the, the concern is... Uh, not this particular bank, but could it be every single bank? You know, could be at risk. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, if they're marking to market, in theory, they should be shoring up their capital positions as that goes, yeah. like every quarter or yeah, something. Yeah, but, but this is that's what they tried to do, and the market went up. We're not. We're not buying. We're not uh, going to to fund your capital raise. That's that's what happens when the next bank comes out. I, I reckon there has to be more to it. I reckon that you know. Mm. few months mm. when the investigation concludes we will mm. get to learn more about it that what were the actual red flags mm. uh, and and how again the mm. auditors were hand in gloves yep. in hiding those and not highlighting those as well mm. because I think it just goes on to you know raise the point again that how ethical are auditors actually mm. Bill Ackman so, is um like stirring up hysteria saying that if all deposits aren't made whole is going to cause like potentially a banking collapse across I was the country. Ju- I was just about to bring that up. There was a, an article in The Australian that he's saying, yeah, run run on the banks. Uh, it's ironic too because he's saying we have to stop a run on the banks mm. and he's a massive finance guy saying there's going to be a run on the banks unless it ha- this happens. Mm. So if anything, he might be catalyzing a run on the banks while saying we need to stop a run on the banks. And I suspect that Bill Ackman has some sort of financial interest in a certain outcome, which is that the depositors are made whole. Like if you've got a lot of money in venture capital or startups or whatever, mm. um, and, and they're all getting written down in values because of this collapse, then I can see why you want to protect your, you know, the value of your holdings. Um, I'm not saying he's got money in startups, but I'm guessing he's got some sort of financial interest in what, yeah. interest in what happens. Because the thing is, right, they're saying all these startups can't make payroll. So you've got tech companies or whatever that had their deposits with that bank and now they can't pay their staff. Yeah. And mm. they're saying this is going to be a massive impact on innovation. Innovation is going to slow down because of this. So so the, the other thing that could be interesting, I wonder, uh, you know, if this expands, if it is affecting other, other banks, um, does this put the Federal Reserve in a position where they need to kind of shore up bank balance sheets and do they need to um, do things like you know uh, purchase assets from uh, from banks I'm not sure of the exact you know regulatory framework that they do that under but obviously they're doing quantitative tightening at the moment and given that central banks don't have any money they kind of create it um, that's kind of the opposite so this is um, Peter Schiff. The US banking system is on the verge of a much bigger collapse in 2008. Banks own long-term paper at extremely low interest rates. They can't compete with short-term treasuries. Mass withdrawals from depositors seeking higher yields will result in a wave of bank failures. Um, so that's one thing. And this guy, Ben Hunt from Epsilon Theory, who I used to like, um, the long-term takeaway from the SVB bank run and failure is this regional banks can never raise equity capital again if there's a whiff of a rumor of you doing that depositors flee and you're dead and that's a it's a good point i think that's what um the um, bill ackman was saying too that the the ripple effect is going to be people taking withdrawals from all the smaller banks and putting the money in goldman sachs effectively 
thereby causing a bank run on all these um, other small banks. And you were just saying that no bank can survive like, you know, a third of its base withdrawing pretty much instantly. There's lines outside some other bank in California like forming already for people to take their money out in the morning. But ironically, the ones in the line probably don't realize they probably have $250,000 of insurance by the FDIC. So, uh, James, what's a healthy capital adequacy ratio is for the banks in Australia? Yeah, James. Uh, <laughs> so when you, sorry, I, is, is that, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, you know, it's a valid question, isn't it? Because it's, it's like, um, you know, you wonder... Uh, you know how contagious are these? Uh, you know, some, yeah. obviously the global financial crisis was highly contagious. It, you know, affected you know all over Europe, uh, mm. and um, you know that wasn't really anything to do with the U.S. housing yeah. crisis. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you wonder, you know, Australia kind of got out of that all right, uh, but we've kind of just made things worse because we've blown up a bigger. Housing bubble in the meantime, but apparently, yeah. say banks are more robust than ever since the GFC. Uh, That's what they say. That's what uh, because the loan books of. have been stretched to the maximum. I guess for every bank, isn't it? Yeah, I because I, I I always wonder about that in, in terms of uh, that might be kind of true on paper, but we know that you know if there is a problem, they they never they never got enough capital. They've never they've never got a cap- enough capital if things really go. Yeah, um, if, if something goes pear shaped, they're all under under. Um, funded when it comes yeah. down to it. So I'm not sure in uh, uh, you know in, in yeah. Australian banks terms, but in Indian banks mm. terms, there are some of the major uh, mm. private and uh, public banks mm. which consider like 14 percent mm. is a very good capital yeah. adequacy ratio that they have. So yeah. if they have 14 percent of the cash that they are sitting on, this considered mm. generally very yeah. healthy. And some of the banks uh, uh, which are considered top mm. uh, in terms of going up upwards of 16 or 18 percent. Mm are called HDFC banks and ICICI bank, which are the largest retail banks in India. But what happens right if now. 20% of depositors... I, I agree. You know, if there is a situation like that, I mean, 20% is not going to there's cover a, 100%. There's a 20% <laughs> crash in property markets and yeah. 20% of depositors withdraw their money. Like, but what happens to the bank then? Yeah. yeah. No, no, that holds true for every bank. I mean, if mm. there was a situation like this to unfold... It's the nature of fractional reserve banking no, and yeah. reserve requirements. Yeah. It's precarious. It's just hoping that it all doesn't happen at once. It's hoping that it's orderly. Um, Vivek G. Ramaswamy? Who's he? I have no idea. Oh, well, I'll look at Pawan because he's the only Indian in the room. So politically incorrect. Um, anyway, um, he wrote, here's the right answer. No depositor amnesty for SVB depositors. Let SVB fully fail. FDIC should get out of the way and let whoever wants to require SVB to actually do the deal. Monday morning, increase FDIC guarantee to $10 million for all banks, so mm-hmm. from 250000 prevents the run on other banks. Silicon Valley is pushing the idea that SVB depositors need to be rescued to prevent a run on other banks. Wrong. If you want to prevent a run on other banks, increase the FDIC guarantee. But SVB screwed up by utterly failing to take interest rate risk into account in two ways, both in terms of client concentration risk among startups and investing in interest rate sensitive securities. So did the many startups who blithely did business with them. It's not the US taxpayer's job to now coddle them. And that's an interesting thing because um, mm. a lot of people are saying like, screw you um, to the Silicon Valley people. And then the Silicon Valley people are like, you know, we're, we're the force of innovation and progress in the country. But you'd have a lot of tech startups that 
if they succeed will be because they create efficiencies that make people elsewhere unemployed. So the, you know, like Amazon. Or maybe like, employed as well. In well, some part well of they'd lose their job. Like, you know, what, what, what did Amazon do to bookshops probably, right? Like a lot of these businesses that are tech businesses create efficiencies in the economy, but the consequence is whoever the inefficient person in the economy was, they end up losing their job, right? And it's like, well, that's that's the free markets, that's capitalism, that's innovation, that's a price of you know progress. But some poor bastard ends up losing his job because of the efficiencies created. And sure, he can get a new job, hopefully. But look at the but convenience as well. I mean, what what the technology has done to the, you know, to the to the product or the service cycle of the books as such. Now you can order a book in like two minutes. You don't need to visit anywhere, and it can be delivered the very next day. I'm not saying the progress is a bad thing. Right, and like I was saying to my wife, because she's interested in hearing me talk about this all the time, um, I was like, you know, if the Wright brothers had to show cash flow when they're trying to develop the airplane, the airplane wouldn't, wouldn't have been invented. So, like, you know, the demand that startups have to, you know, show robust financials is, you know, crippling to innovation to some extent too. But if you've got people who are the innovators, who are replacing old tech or whatever it is, right, they're replacing people's jobs, they're happy to reap the rewards of that. They're happy to, to, to reap destruction in communities where they're replacing the old ways. Yet now they're potentially saying on the downside, yeah, sure, we're the biggest capitalists on the planet on the way up, but we want the rules to change for us now. Everyone has to help us out because we need to make payroll. And it's like, well, you shouldn't have had all the money in that bank. Like, so that's I'm, your I'm, responsibility. No, no, I'm, I'm not in the favor of, uh, uh, you know, anyone coming up to rescue them. It has to be in the interest. I, I, I reckon we were talking about Elon Musk offering to uh, a bailout. This no, I think, said, I think he said he was interested. Someone's like, you yeah. should buy it. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not averse to that or something. And yeah. Yeah. So something like that. I mean, uh, it can, it can raise a whole lot of speculation. There could be a lot of other people who might just want to, you know, uh, bail them out looking at $300 billion in assets for this bank. There could be something lucrative for them. But what I'm saying is that, you know, like, Talking about that pure example of Amazon, I mean, Amazon has kind of changed, taken off jobs from many places and many people, but then it has definitely created a lot of jobs as well. It has created a lot of opportunities for people around the world as well. Mm -hmm. And it has created apparently the maximum number of millionaires that any company has created in the history. So, you know. Yeah, that's and that's capitalism. But the point is, right, the while they're winning as capitalists, they say capitalism, capitalism, yay for capitalism. You can't then, when capitalism's working against you, say everyone has to bail me out. You can't be a, a, a socialist on the way down and a capitalist on the Privatize way up. Privatise the gains, socialise the losses. Yeah, the exactly. Yeah. 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 So so this idea, like, you know, um, like, uh, am I supposed to feel that worried if I'm like some guy that works at KFC in America? Am I supposed to be thinking, oh, really, I really hope that um, there's something that ends up costing me money in the long term that bails out these tech startups where, you know, they've, they're planning to do an IPO at like 100 times earnings or whatever and, yeah. they've, and they've got like deposits in this bank of $20 million. Um, you know, boy, they're doing it tough while I'm doing my 18-hour shift at KFC. You know, I should yeah. do something to help them. Yeah. Like, but the thing is, I think with the FDIC, 
Um, so they've got this thing. Um, I did a bit of reading on this. Um, only a, a quick crash course before I came here. Um, so they got Dodd Frank was this legislation that came out of the GFC two thousand and eight. Um, within Dodd Frank, I think it was within Dodd Frank, this thing called the FDIC, um, Federal Deposits Insurance Corporation. Corporation. Um, that's the banks collectively putting money into a bank account that can then be used to bail out banks in the event of a bank run kind of thing, right? So it's the banks that contribute to that. Do the JP Morgans of the world really want their FDIC money they've been putting in bailing out these guys? Like, do the actual banks who are a party to the FDIC want their money going towards this when it looks like this is all completely SBB's fault? Apparently, though, with this um, Dodd-Frank, there's a provision in it says, that says taxpayers' dollars can't be used to save the bank. So the bank's gone, as far as I know. Taxpayers' dollars will not be used to bail it out. Then the question is... If the FDIC can't make all deposits whole, they're, they're the ones who insure up to $250,000. But the depositors who are like, you know, the mum and dad tech bros or whatever who have to make payroll, like they've lost their money potentially unless someone bails them out. Not all their money, mind you, but, you know, they've lost money to some extent. Who's going to bail them out? And is it, are they supposed to get bailed out? And obviously Silicon Valley people are like, well, you know, these are mum and dads and people who work in the companies, they shouldn't suffer. But then again, it's like, well, you know, when, when mum and dads were losing their job in like, you know, the Rust Belt or whatever, that, that was progress. That was capitalism. That was them, you know, mm-hmm. they should have made better choices in life. So, yeah. Or diversification. And, and, and politically. And, like, some people are saying, you know, how inept is the chief financial officer of one of these tech startups if they put all their eggs in a known dodgy basket? Like, you know, people are saying this SBB was, like, known to be problematic for ages. It's like they lend to the startups that suck. Yeah. And then the startups have to deposit. What, what in there. would attract someone to to a bank like this? Do they give you money more easily than a big bank? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I need to borrow. Yeah. I go to JP Morgan. They're like, get out of here. You know, yeah. we don't want to deal with you. I go to SVB, and they're like, yeah, we'll lend on the condition that you need to deposit with us. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, so then everything was crazy. In a bar or over a dinner, sort yeah. of a thing. Yeah. And, and so. there is a, there is a little bit of an argument that so you know if you're running a big bank, mm-hmm. um, you're interested in like the big deals and you know all these, you know, you're not going to be interested in the little startup company in mm, Silicon yeah. Valley that, whereas if you're a small bank, you it can be an advantage to be a specialist mm. um, because, you know, you can you can get into an area that a big bank just doesn't want to deal with because it's too small, it's not worth dealing with, and there's a whole lot of risks involved, whereas if you yeah. specialise in it, you can, yeah. you can have a better understanding of the risks. But then it requires them to do... I mean, furthermore, due diligence. They yes. are kind of a form of a non-banking financial corporations, mm-hmm. though they are financial corporation, but they act like a non-banking financial corporation. Mm-hmm. Less due diligence uh, or, or less strict, you know, procedures in terms of passing a loan. So is that so a, a bit like yeah, our, our friends that helped us? Yeah. Yeah, or that's right. Money market. Yeah. Yeah, that's them. I mean, so, they will charge you higher rates, but yeah. then they will, you know. Mm-hmm take my 2000 pulsar as a collateral for $50,000 loan or $60,000 loan. But if I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm, a, I'm <laughs> well, a shit, why not? <laughs> I'm happy to pay you eight, 8%. <laughs> 8%. Yeah, that was similar with, with, uh, with, with uh, my one there. Cause you got a car I'm like, oh, it's pretty old. And they asked what it was and I told them and it was, you know, so it's like seven or eight, almost 10 years old car now and didn't meet anywhere near like the minimum like value requirements. He's like, oh, just give us a sec. Goes away, comes back. 
all good <laughs> sweet yeah. well I guess you can do unsecured and secured loans but um, oh, back to this if I'm some tech company right that's a startup whatever I can't be meeting payroll for my staff because like let's say I've got 10 million dollars in deposits with that bank they're not insured wasn't there like some like whiz kid um, chief risk officer or chief financial officer the company? So like apparently, about, for last eight months they didn't have no, a chief no, no, risk officer. No, no, I'm talking officer. about the Czech startups. Yeah, okay. the, the bank itself didn't have a chief risk officer <laughs> for, apparently for over eight months, um, which itself is a thing. But then it's like if I'm if I'm some tech company, there's some dude who's my financial dude in the company, right? That guy's I'm sure getting paid a lot more than I get paid, and and they're the ones who are supposed to be controlling the money. Did that person not go? Hang on a minute. Um, the bank only lent to us on the grounds that we'd have a deposit with them. That's a bit of a red flag. There was this whole thing called the GFC where banks went bust. Maybe we should have, um, you know, a quarter of our deposits in, in four different banks or five deposits in five different banks. And then people are like, oh, you can't just expect a company to do payroll across like um, 250 banks with $250,000 deposits. It's like, sure, that's that's unreasonable. Some American basketballer who's like an absolute superstar apparently has like 60 banks with $250,000 deposits. <laughs> so he must have listened to the podcast. Um, I think it's like some Greek or Serbian sounding name. I think he's a white person sounding name. But actually, no, that Giannakis, maybe he's like a black guy, actually. Isn't he that Giannakis? Some Is he playing for the Celtics? Maybe he's that dude. He's got like a Greek sounding name, but he's black. But anyway, um, yeah, one of those dudes um, apparently spread him out far and wide. So that person was aware of it. See how these um, financial dudes not aware of risk management by not pulling all the eggs in one basket? Mm. Well, and it and brings us back to the financial shenanigans topic again. And, and but, apparently, yeah. so, I don't know if this is true, but apparently the finance dudes in these tech companies yeah. with the deposits at the bank were getting super sweet deals on their mortgages through SIVV. It's like, oh, a little bit of moral hazard there, perhaps. So This reminds me of someone, uh, did we talk about Mr. Philip Lowe a few episodes <laughs> back? <laughs> But like, you know, where's, 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 is there a conflict of interest, me getting a super sweet deal on my mortgage yeah. with the same guys I've got all my company's money deposited with? Like, mm-hmm. where's the risk management yeah. there? So. You know, we all, all the time we talk about finding out financial shenanigans and reading balance sheets, annual reports, and everything else. But, you know, in, in, in a case like this, there is actually no available information. Mm. How do you do your due diligence as an investor? You know, it's this. It just baffles me that you know where we talk about uh, inside being the smallest unit of truth. Mm. There is no inside available in any of the reports, neither the auditor's report nor the annual reports which are being published. Mm. I mean, and look at you know all the rating companies. They've been rating this bank high. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Bill Ackman said like he's like you know I read financial stuff. I understand financial stuff. These are like a black box to me. These the books of these banks, but maybe that's the thing. Stay away from it then if it's a black box to you. Um, and I do think that they had to do the mark to market losses on their treasuries. So you could potentially have looked at the mark to market losses on the treasuries and made some inquiries. And it's like, oh, okay, you, you know, you've got one hundred and three billion dollars in ten year bonds. Hmm. Um, that's like you know a lot of money, and that could be problematic as you know you mark to market more and more. Hmm. You know, another controversy that it uh, we were discussing before the start of the podcast that uh, that I was thinking about that now nobody's talking about Hindenburg and Adani anymore. <laughs> oh, no, because, actually, I saw a bunch yes. of... I saw, <laughs> because there is a favorite child now, which I, is Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> I, I saw a bunch of people actually writing, uh, all Indian surnames. Um, hey, Hindenburg, um, 
Adani managed to bail himself out, yeah. but you're so quiet on this bank. Why don't you look in your own backyard and like getting super mad at him? See, the these are exactly my words to Andre <laughs> as well. I mean, Hindenburg should be actually investigating Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, and all those corporations. They can't look all the time. Then being though, interested right? on uh, yeah. Adani. So, do you do you feel like they had to go because it was Indian? Do you feel persecuted? Um, not really. I think eventually it just goes on to prove. If you see, uh, most of the stocks of Adani companies now are back up again. But so who Hinden- made the money? Hindenburg did make the but, money but out of that. Like Hindenburg can't look at every single entity on the planet and then pick the best one to show. Like they, they have to, you know. But they, there are so, so, there there are so many companies, search companies mm. like Hindenburg. Hindenburg is not the mm. only one. So nobody picked them up. Mm. But they, like they, they. The um, obviously the more most more successful someone is yeah. if you can prove that they're dodgy, the more money you're gonna make, right? Mm. So no, no, because I'm not defending like Adani at all. I mean, the kind of massive rise that he's had in mm. last couple of years, where his uh, personal wealth has just jumped like 100, 150 billion dollars. Yeah. It obviously raises eyebrow of the rest of the world. Suddenly, a guy who was no one, not even in the top hundred richest people in the world, mm. suddenly jumps up to the third spot and then to the second spot obviously raises an eyebrow that how is this happening mm. uh, but even then if you do get that big there's like a risk of getting too big for your own not too big like too big to control you know what I mean it's sort of too big to fail too big to succeed yeah that's you know if some like you see quite often like mm. companies get too big and then they don't know how to handle it mm. that sort of thing mm. yeah they expand it too quickly and yeah. they want on top of things um Pratik Kodial um talking about risks um he said very true and then that said real risks tend to be unknown and hence create such issues which could happen to any one of us risks that are well documented seldom occur and if they do usually have mitigation plans in place so that's an interesting point that he yeah, makes with his risks gets, yeah. the, you know the, the, real, the real risks risk. are the ones yeah. you can't see not you the ones that you're aware of and prepared yeah. for it says that's uh, almost a Donald Rumsfeld quote, isn't it? The uh, known unknowns, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think mm. Taleb would be happy with that quote as well um, on, on risk. Mm. This is what some dude wrote: U T E K K R E. So Utekare. From what I understand, are uh, regarding SBB. SBB had 189 billion in deposits in 2021. Some do- some dumb guy in there put 91 billion into bond markets at 1.63% yield for 10 years. Tech market collapses and SVB private investment portfolio tracking 16 billion mark-to-market losses. Um, They haven't marked down their portfolio yet. Meanwhile, fundraising market dries up and startup balances start reducing at alarming rate because startups are burning money, right? Mm. So the deposits that startups have in the bank that was Mm. part of the bank's, you know, collateral, Mm. that is getting eaten up because the startups that they funded are loss-making enterprises. Mm. Now SVB has to borrow against its 91 billion to shore up capital adequacy. Problem is, they are now borrowing at 5% while getting yield of 1.6%. So they're issuing $3 billion of equity to cover the 3.4% shortfall in interest servicing, hence short-selling positions and causing panic in the bank. So this is the other thing, right? It's not like depositors will lose all their money because it's effectively in liquidation now. Yeah. The 10-year bonds, if they have a $100 face value or a $91 billion face value, you get $90 billion back in 10 years. So it's not like all the money's evaporated. You still get the face value of the bonds. It's just that when you factor in interest rates, um, they're worth less than other bonds in the market. So they've had a loss on those bonds, but it's like the bonds aren't worthless. They're treasuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, market value versus face value that we... 
And maybe that's not the worst thing that all the depositors in the bank take a 20% haircut and, you know, capitalism gets to actually punish failure. So in the last five days, apparently the uh, stock of uh, Silicon Valley Bank has was at 266 and it has gone down to 82 in one trading session. Uh, and then it, obviously it was halted. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how it goes on Monday. I think it's an administration at zero. Yeah. I think I think it's wound up yeah. already. Like my understanding well, is, it might not be at, it's zero. It might not be at zero even if it's in administration. It might, there might be there might be sufficient assets to have some value. The assets have value itself, but yeah. like it's it's I think it's finished as a business. Like it's 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 done. It's being broken up for its parts and sold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, but but that can mm. still you can still have a a company. Obviously, they've it's not trading, but it can still have a have a you know a value um, okay yeah, the company has a value because it's got assets but i think the share value is going to be zero, zero yeah. because well, i think well, i think the company's underwater i mean the business wise yeah. it's zero isn't it so it's not to make any problem so with this thing when the whoever it is steps mm-hmm. in yeah under this dot frank they have yeah. an order of who yeah. has to get paid yeah right? yeah yeah and the shareholders are last the yeah. shareholders are last administrators yeah. are paid first yeah so apparently they weren't and they only step in when they think they're not going to be yeah. able to meet their yeah. capital obligations yep so they the unless the guy stepped in when they could still meet their obligations they stepped in because they can't meet their obligations yeah. but, but is which it, means the, that no money will go to shareholders the the big the big question though for, for banks obviously is how much of this is uh, you know I, I haven't looked at the balance sheet at all so i don't know the answer to this at all but you know it's quite possible that you could have a you can have a run on a bank and for for the bank not to be able to meet its obligations but for it to have Plenty of assets, they're just not liquid at all, and and so the bank has to be wound up because people want their money out, and they 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 have an obligation to pay that. Yeah. But they they can't access the that money because it's in you know say business loans. But if the business loans are all going to be repaid, mm. um, which I don't know, you know, then maybe they won't. Um, but it's quite possible that it, it's the kind of thing that sits there for 10 years while the whole thing's wound up and the repayments come in and they collect them and they, they pay them out to people over time. And Yeah. Know. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. That's a good point. My understanding is the bank's at negative equity at the moment. Sure, sure. Um, granted, business loans might come in, like yeah. you said, um, given that they lent to tech startups who seem to be burning through cash flow and that's why part of their deposits have yep. diminished. Yep. Maybe not for this bank. Yeah. No, no. That, I'm, and again, I haven't sort of yeah. looked at that. I don't know. I've just been like, I just spent a couple of hours looking at Twitter and reading crap. So. <laughs> but I did, I did Everybody's all, jumping on this bandwagon. Yeah. I did also that. read um, stuff from the actual legislation, though. So um, I did because I was like, you read all these of people's opinions on what's going to happen, and it's mm. like, while I'm reading this, I should just actually read what the you know banking law says. Mm. Yeah. So then read that. Um, to some extent. So is there any official statement that has come from Jim Cramer now that why he was suggesting this as a buy? He'd have to be making a lot of statements, wouldn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just more of those memes where like, they, they put his... Uh they put his it's face on the, on the ass creature. of people and animals and stuff. There was like yeah. a- He's such a shameless creature, actually. I mean, every time... I mean, if your stock is covered by Jim Cramer, that's the end of it. Then. Yeah, so I did a little bit of reading of the Dodd-Frank Act um, and some USC... Um, section 5394 in particular which was um, basically says in essence this provision I mean, this is someone's summary of the provision this provision prevents any future government bailouts for struggling financial institutions no matter how big or how impactful their failure might be That's that was saying taxpayers mm. can't save a bank yeah 
Um, the and Oak Tree, which is a really good um, distressed debt business. Hmm. Apparently, they're offering forty to sixty cents on the dollar on the deposits. So, say I'm a um, for Silver Bank. Yeah, oh, so for Silicon Valley. Yeah, for Silicon yeah. Valley Bank. Yeah. So, if I'm a tech startup who yeah. needs to make payroll, yeah, um, and I've got ten million dollars in the bank, apparently. Oak Tree will give me like four to six million dollars for that claim. So I mean, the the, right. the free market is um you know offering money for this distressed debt. Oh, so you don't have to service that other loan, you and you just service the loan too. No, you still got the debt to the bank. That's the irony. Like if if, if that bank lent me a billion dollars and I had a billion dollar deposit, that billion dollar loan will be sold to some other institution. As part of the benefit, as part of the you know bankruptcy oh. type proceedings, so I still owe someone a billion dollars. Yeah, my billion dollar deposit, which in my mind was offsetting my debt, mm. is now potentially worth you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever someone else will pay me on the market mm. or whatever I get when everything's wound up. Mm. So that's that's the that's the bad thing. And there are things in Australia that are non bank lenders. Um, you know, in my, in my job, you know, there are non bank lenders mm. who have accounts that sound a lot like offset accounts mm-hmm. but they're not the same as offset accounts because you have an offset account with say Westpac and it's up to $250,000 if West goes, Westpac goes bust you still have a debt and it gets sold It'll to somebody sold. else so if, but you're deposited $250,000 which was offsetting that debt yeah. that's still your money but there are some non-bank lenders yeah. who will have things that sound a lot like offset accounts and clients will think they're offset accounts but it's like difference is if this lender goes bust, that $250,000 is gone. So my so, only hope that now will someday go bust and I will own my home and I'll no, not have the, to pay my loan. The, 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 the Commonwealth <laughs> yeah. Bank will buy the debt. Oh. No, no, you'll still be in debt to somebody. That's disappointing. Yeah, but that, that is a risk if people are doing what they think are offset accounts on non-guaranteed yeah. So um, if people didn't offsets. do a bank run on, on, on Silicon Valley, would it have gone bust? Why don't people uh, unrun? Probably not. I don't think so. Because they, they, they would have had to. They, they still had to raise capital, but it's yeah. quite possible that that they could have raised the capital, <laughs> and then that would have been sufficient to for them to have their uh, you know obligations. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was uh, nothing to say they had to go bust, but apparently, like that Peter Thiel guy or whatever encouraged his <laughs> like crew to withdraw forty billion dollars in a day or something. So and in terms like, of like the, when people are actually going to the bank. Like, do, do you even have to do that these days? No, I like, might have just gone online and transferred it to another bank. Yeah, yeah. like because <laughs> exactly bank accounts don't take that long to set up. Yeah, but um, there should be some news coming out by the time people listen to this. I reckon yeah. like eleven o'clock at night or something. Yeah. Um, and 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 the comment made by I think it was Bill Ackman again that anyone in their right mind now will be withdrawing money and putting it into treasuries. Mm-hmm. So then there's all this talk there's going to be a massive demand for short-duration treasuries and a massive um, outflow of bank deposits. That's actually a really interesting point, isn't it, in that in that obviously you've got up to that guaranteed government amount with the FDIC or whatever, but then um, if you've got amounts beyond that, you know, the you know term deposit rates and treasury rates must be pretty competitive, so... You've got large amounts of money, especially like those short. Well, who would you rather be depositing with the US government or, um, you know, some bank that you're always going to go bankrupt and you're going to lose your money? Oh, so I mean, it's risk more, management. It's, like it's, if you're any 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 yeah. any corporate yeah. entity, 
Look, surely a lot of these guys are having meetings now saying, how do we risk manage? Yeah. Like banks banks are at risk. Um, and, and it could be the case the government just comes out and says all deposits are going to be made whole mm. yeah. to stop a bank run. But, like but further you, bank runs. You, you, I mean, you think from Joe in the street that it might be more convenient to have money in a bank account and, um, you know, if they're assuming they're under the, you know, the limit um, and that wouldn't be materially different from owning treasuries but treasuries might be more inconvenient to own as opposed to having your money in what are they you know cds or whatever um you know so yeah i mean but but i take your point obviously that you know if you've got large amounts of money you you kind of you'd wonder why wouldn't i just you know hold it in treasuries if i don't need access to it immediately but maybe i need access to it in six months or something like that the the treasury rates seem pretty compelling don't they this is what my mate ron shamgar says he says if i'm a biz or individual and i hold cash in a non-us major bank the first thing i'm doing monday morning is cashing out to a major bank why would i take the risk of the government or risk if the government doesn't guarantee svv depositors (laughs) Iran banks will expose other reckless Risk practices. So, so, so do you do you think potentially there's a, a bank run on Monday? That's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, that's so uh, especially for regional banks. Wait, wait, a bank run on who? Like on the small, in America? Look, like, any yeah. any bank that's not a major bank in America um, is at risk of people freaking out and taking their money out of it. Huh. So like yeah. that's why like people like even the you know the tech people are like you know it's not about us and bailing us out. This is about saving America. <laughs> <laughs> So the, I saw the, the the plain bagel put out a, a video, like a quick yeah. video. Didn't go into too much detail, but um, he sort of summarised that he doesn't really, he doesn't think it's going to end up with like a GFC style, mm. like brutal, brutal crisis thing. But um, mm. uh, but yeah, he's saying, but that's that's the sort of narrative that's being run mm. at the moment mm. that this potentially could. Uh, I mean, it, it could potentially. I mean, you wouldn't think that that was the most likely thing and you'd also think that if it looked i'm sure that the, there'd be a lot of data being looked at in terms of people accessing you know looking at their bank accounts or whatever and yep. tra- putting transfers through or whatever mm. over the weekend and if that happened you think that the um you know the federal reserve and the government would be would be on the mark mm. but i mean not to say that that kind of stuff is always going to work. But okay, so just put yourself Can in they the shoes. Officially of- suspend. I mean, uh, cash withdrawals. Can that happen? I don't know. Don't know. But if you're if you're a depositor mm. at a non-major bank in America and you've got a couple million dollars in a bank account, mm. how are you feeling right now? And what are your plans? Yeah, you've got to make if, if I had two, two, two million dollars in, yeah. in a bank account in the United States, I'd feel pretty pretty good. Are you, are, you, are you not thinking I'm going to withdraw 1.75? I, I might be going to withdraw it tomorrow, but you asked me how yeah, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd be feeling a bit worried if I'm if I'm if I got a bank deposit, and I'd be thinking, you know, I'll leave 250 grand in this bank, but I'm going to spread yeah, the rest yeah. to other banks. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe it's just a rearranging of the deck chairs, and like you know, one bank loses 1.75, but then five other banks deposit 250 yeah, each yeah. into it, and it makes up for that, it. You, look, that brings back the conversation in gold we trust, yeah. not in the banks yeah. and not in both yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, if you look at, look at um, uh, interest rate on treasuries, they seem to have compressed on uh, towards the end of the weekend. The the uh, there seems to be seem to be a bit of um, bit of demand for for, for treasuries. I don't know if that's mm. the no- normal sort of fear runaway um, from the stock market going to 
bonds, but it might there might be also a bit of demand of people withdrawing money from banks. Well, Jeff Snyder was, I think he was saying that that um, boost in the demand for treasuries came before any um, major stuff with that bank. No, is that right? Uh, he's like, you know, it looks like it's a bank, but it actually happened before that. I think that's what Jeff Snyder was saying. Okay. But um, yeah, and then if, if so, the average person who's got money in these, you know, in any bank that's not major, uh, even potentially major, might be freaking out trying to do risk management. Maybe a bunch of money goes into treasuries temporarily for that. And then the politicians, what are they doing? It's like you're a Democrat. Like, sure, California is a Democrat state, right? Mm. Do, you, do you look after your voter base? Or are you like, well, they're populists. Like, populism's massive in America now. Like, Trump came up on, with populism. The Democrats are populist as far as I'm concerned. So how's it going to look being the Democrats and bailing out the rich people? Like, you know, they're always talking about wealth inequality and all that sort of stuff. Politically, can they bail out the rich? AOC isn't having it at this stage. Elizabeth Warren? Is she saying, let's bail these guys out? So politically, like, I reckon this bank maybe has to go under. Mm. But then systemic risk, like apparently, you know, against, you know, his 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 heart or whatever, Barack Obama bailed the, you know, rich banks out. The change that you can believe in didn't happen. And, you know, like, oh, I think that must have sucked for Obama if he, like, legitimately, if he believed in his whole campaigning. That must have really sucked balls for Obama to bail out the rich people is one of the first things he does. Well, as they say that, you know, it's all that matters in the world is who you know and how well you know. Maybe they'll, they'll get bailed out. Yeah. Well, we'll, I mean, we'll know that in times to come, I guess. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're Silicon Valley big donors to any political parties. Well, they <laughs> There's some sort of quid pro quo. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. And I, I don't know what will happen. Um, I, I, I did read a comment on Twitter that... Um, in the last few years, you've had people going from being medical experts to military experts, and now they're banking experts. So, <laughs> so uh, my uh, my boss, he he's not 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 a fan of the uh, the uh, super reforms that are going on here. Mm-hmm. But he one of his things that he foresees is um, to do with withdrawals from super. So, because like he hypothesizes that because. You know they're going to start telling people where to where super funds where to put the money and it'll all be tied up in infrastructure. That eventually that they'll stop allowing people to draw, withdraw their super as a lump sum because they won't have the cash flow to do it. And I thought, I mean, yeah. I mean, this. I mean, I would have thought uh, from a regular that, that that wouldn't surprise me too much, but more from a regulatory point of view. I mean, it's probably unlikely that you'd have so much in. Even if the government did say, you know, you must allocate this much to, yeah. you know, uh, you know, development or you know, infrastructure or whatever it is, it's probably not going to be to the point where there's where things are illiquid. Mm. Um, but I mean, because I mean, the, if you think about, you know, most of a super fund at the moment is basically um, fixed interest and like so liquid bonds and mm. and and shares. So. Yeah. And that's all, all liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, but even sort of the industry funds, you know, who have a big, decent chunk to, to infrastructure and, and those kind of assets, um, uh, you know, they, they might only have you know a quarter or twenty percent or fifteen percent sort of those kind of amounts allocated mm-hmm. to stuff that is directly owned um, and not not publicly traded type type assets. Mm. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean it. it it's yeah, because it's, I mean, I wonder in terms of having uh, 
it, it does seem a little bit the, the system seems a little bit free at the moment in terms of um, you know the concessions um, and they're not kind of you know people being able to quite literally take money out um, you know tax free at retirement take the entire balance especially when you've got situations where you know there's a lot of debt in the property market and you wonder how much money of retirement savings is just going to end up being um oh get to retirement pay off the mortgage go on the pension mm. um so which isn't a bad choice for no well yes yeah, it's, it's not necessarily a bad choice in terms of the individual mm. but the government has really just wasted its time then because they've provided a whole lot of tax concessions so people could afford to you know borrow more money for you know to, to buy property mm. uh, and then to fund that through withdrawing their retirement savings and then going back to the government and going up yep, time to to stump up because uh, i've got no money and there were some clients mm-hmm. who were you know five years out from retirement with a mortgage mm-hmm. and a financial advisor you know mm-hmm. would say you're paying as much as you can to get debt free by the time you retire at 60. If you salary sacrificed into super, you get a massive tax saving. You can just literally deposit in a bank account in super mm-hmm. and then at 60 withdraw and pay your mortgage off and have you know a significant amount more savings. Yeah, that's that was some planning for people's you know retirement mm-hmm. that we, you know we discuss in the advice industry. So, certainly not an unknown thing. Mm-hmm. People you know, paying off a mortgage at retirement with super. And it normally makes, it normally makes for the individual being debt free at retirement normally makes a lot of sense. Um, it just in terms of how we've, you know, got everything with, you know, a lot of debt against property and, you know, then people ending up with debt in retirement and then using retirement savings for pay, repaying debt, which in the retirement savings came with tax concessions and it's like, what have we actually achieved here? It's kind of you know how there's that thing with the um, the US like social security lockbox or whatever, where it's like, does it actually have any money in it? Because it's mm. it's it's got a whole lot of government bonds in it. Uh you know they've used the used the their the social security contributions to buy government bonds, but it's like, but that's the government's liability to pay for the government's mm. liability, so. Is that actually anything at all in there? Because if you didn't have a lockbox at all, how would you fund it? Oh, well, you'd issue some bonds. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you, where you wonder, um, to some extent, you know, you might you might have actually achieved anything by having a superannuation system. Yeah. If the money is then just used to, to repay debt that wouldn't have been taken on yeah. if there wasn't superannuation there. So I saw, I saw a story... Um, on ABC talking about the mortgage cliff and there was a lady who she's at risk of losing her home she was on a 30 year mortgage but she was 60 years old mm. so she had to get her kids to move in to like help pay the mortgage and mm. stuff like that it, I, I, I'm, I'm not a smart man but I, <laughs> but I know that on average people probably won't live and work until they're 90 to be able to say are, are they counting would they would you be able to ha- say like hey my super's this big give me the loan for this much like so well, when i'm doing applications for home loans and the person's retiring after retirement age mm. or sorry when the loan doesn't get extinguished before retirement age mm-hmm. the bank is wanting an explanation what's this person's exit strategy yeah and that's like you know the client's like i'll sell it when i retire or i plan to pay it off you know before i retire um it's not like the banks are like you know doing a great interrogation but that is a question you have to answer 
if the debt's going to be there after retirement age, what's the exit strategy? Uh, yeah, okay. So, so that could be like a multitude of things. It could be like, oh, I'm going to smash it real hard or I've, yeah. I've got this much cash yeah. sitting around. Or downsize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, the, um, other, the other thing is I, from memory, um, there was there have been sort of anti-discrimination cases uh, from older people trying to get loans where um, they will retire, yeah. but they've got assets in superannuation and that... Uh, the, the case was basically along the lines of, you know, the, the banks were saying, well, hang on, we can't access your superannuation. How do we know? How can mm. we be confident that you can repay the loan? Um, and it was brought forward as a sort of a anti-discrimination because of my age. You're, you're not, not allowing me to have a, have a loan when I can clearly have a, a, a strategy to pay it off. What happens if yeah. you die and you still got a mortgage? Uh, just gets passed on to those around you, the or estate, the estate would get wound up. So normally, what would happen is that the bank would have um, security over the property because of the mortgage, and yeah. so that would go into the estate, and the yeah. property would be sold, and then the sure. debt, debt discharged, yeah, and then right. whatever's left over uh, would be left in the estate to be distributed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Sweet. Um, anything else? I've got a few extra points here. I saw a story about uh, EV batteries catching on fire. So firefighters are uh, are, uh, are a warning of uh, the increased risk from EV charges. And, and is that Tesla or is that uh, the station? Well, they didn't name it particular, but all the videos that they showed were Teslas mm. that were just like randomly <laughs> bursting the flames in in car parks. Well, you know, I think, it, I think <laughs> in terms of the the fires are a bit more. My understanding is they're a bit more difficult to put out than. Yeah, they were yeah. saying so. Like, um, once the fire gets going, mm. a, a petrol car will take about uh, like one and a half kiloliters, so one and a, one half thousand liters to put out. Mm. Um, the uh, an EV fire on average will take thirty kiloliters, mm. so th- yeah, thirty thousand liters yeah. of water. And there's potential for uh, cobalt poisoning mm. for the firefighters and electrocution mm. as well. I'm launching a new business in hotel car parks where there's like a giant um, like shoebox that sits above the car in the car space and yeah. if it catches on fire, it just lowers over the car and starves it of oxygen and then it doesn't like, you know, contaminate the entire car park and set the hotel on fire. And they were saying that's... that's a, look at second order consequences. They were saying that's the, the, the one of the other big risks is that charging stations are often in garages, in houses or, or in underground car parks. Mm. So I wonder how expensive that box would be. Well, if you buy, buy 10,000, I'll do you a decent price. The cost of this EV seems to be going higher and higher with all these peripherals mm. coming along. But can, can we afford not to do it, Parwan? That's a real question. <laughs> the, the Clean yeah. energy, in the name of clean energy, yeah. and with the poster of Greta Thunberg. Yeah. Everyone yeah, should just get push bikes. That's, that's the answer. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, get the tuk-tuk in the rickshaw. You, you, you push bikes. My little brother reckons a well-made push bike is so much smoother than like the cheap ones that I'm used to owning. But um, yeah, then you, you help with the obesity um, you know, crisis, whatever. Um, apparently, like so many Americans, like 10% of them are on like some sort of happy drug. And it's like, you know, exercise is supposed to be good for mm. that sort of stuff. So, you know, I reckon I've solved the obesity and the... Um, 
what's that thing they're all addicted to in that country? Um, uh, opi- opioids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've solved the opioids and the fentanyl <laughs> crisis. Yeah, I've got opioid crisis and fentanyl crisis and the obesity crisis and the transport crisis. Less organised crime now because no one's getting opioids. <laughs> so, like, police can get better Imagine training. Imagine robbing so the bank and just I've, getting I've, away I've, on their push I've solved Black Lives Matter too. I've just done everything. And they reckon Elon Musk's, like, kicking all these goals. <laughs> <laughs> It's, what, uh, what it reminds me of the, the uh, Bill Burr. He's got that. I think the special's called You Can Walk Your Way Out of This. And he's, he talks about obese people getting all, all their troubles. But, like, literally, you can walk your way out of this. <laughs> you can walk your way out of this. Um, he's brutal, Bill Burr, isn't he? Yeah. Just, uh. So, Parwan, uh, Albanese visits India. What, what's happening there? Uh, not that I followed this, but I think there are, there's always a... a, a you know, fruitful outcomes of the recent visits of different prime ministers to India. Yeah. And I think uh, this one would be similar. I think there's a defense pact which has been signed between mm. India and Australia now, which where India has been announced as the most strategic and top tier defense partner for Australia. So, which is great. Uh, they are the entire IT security base of the country, so it makes sense. Yes. And the, <laughs> only, and the only country which, which, has, uh, which can defend the Indian Ocean as well. So uh, Albanese, on that note, uh, uh, also visited, uh, made a visit to uh, the Indian-built uh, destroyer ship, uh, INS Vikram, which is the largest aircraft carrier and uh, uh, built by India. Mm. So which makes India the only third country in the world to, to have kind of build the uh, uh, domestically built uh, aircraft carrier in the world now. Mm. After US, no, fourth, I think, US, Russia, China, and India. Mm. Uh, so, which is great, uh, and there is a joint naval exercise which will be done as well uh, uh, in in the Malabar Ocean. Uh, but also, I think which is exciting is uh, there's a lot of cricket diplomacy which is going on. Last time you said cricket diplomacy. Yes. So Anthony Albanese was uh, invited by Prime Minister Modi to watch the cricket game where uh, India was dominating. Uh, <laughs> cricket, so which is good. Uh, I heard a quote which was I thought was quite funny, which was which is which is uh, something along the lines of in in India, um, cricket is politics by other means, which is a a, 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 a take on the Clausewitz, um, Calvin Clausewitz, you know, politics is you know war is politics by other means, but it's yeah. it's uh, puts a whole new spin on cricket being like this form of. Of combat. So mm. Brett Lee is ambassador to India. <laughs> so this would lead to a lot of controversy when I say this. But then I think the uh, Aussie cricketers are loved more in India. Mm. Uh, and, and followed more in India as well. I would say most of them are like Paid more in India. already. What's that? Paid more in India as well with the Super League or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, the IPL, yes, yeah. of course. But then uh, they're loved as well. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of them have uh, already have their Bollywood stints lined up including David Warner and Brett Lee, uh, and very soon maybe Ricky Ponting as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's mm. that's kind of centering relationships. So I mm. think uh, the visit will be good, but I think the what will be the highlight of the uh, visit is also the educational tie-ups mm. uh, that, uh, uh, that is being announced between India and Australia. Uh, one thing which relates to our business and which mm. is very encouraging to, to learn mm. is that uh, there is a campus of Deakin University opening in India and Gujarat now. Yeah, right. Uh, which has been announced and the foundation is also being laid. So it is great. Uh, and uh, there is obviously a recognition of uh, uh, educational uh, degrees and uh, qualifications, which has been recognized in both the countries now. So for anyone who's migrating uh, from India to Australia, their qualifications will be uh, will be considered, you know, equal 
in Australia, so, oh. which is great. Um, unless they like just bought degrees. <laughs> like I remember when I was in India, I went to a doctor to get some um, painkillers. Yeah. And then, like, there was this old doctor who's like, oh, you got to come back tomorrow. Whatever yeah. you do, yeah. don't give this guy more than 20 rupees. And that was sleep, sleep tablets. And, yeah. and he's whatever you do, don't, get more, don't give this guy more than 20 rupees. Yeah. And then the doctor was like, 200 rupees. And I'm like, you know, looking at him, he's like, you want the sleeping tablets or not? And he knew yeah. he was ripping me off, but I wanted the tablets. And it's like, you know, did, you can buy the tablets work? Yeah, but the point is that the, <laughs> the doctor was overcharging for them because he knew he could. It's like, you know, there's there's some dodgy stuff that happens in You know how much is place. 20 rupees? Like just in Aussie, not even a dollar. Yeah, but that was for it's the like advice. like 50 cents. That was for the advice. It wasn't to buy the tablets. That was a doctor's fee. How much would you pay to, for an advice to a doctor? The point is the doctor wasn't supposed to be charging 10 times more than he's supposed to, but he did because he was dodgy. It's, it's, it's all rubbish. You're just believing the person. 200 rupees is like nothing for a doctor's advice. I'm, and secondly, I, I wondering myself belong to the education industry yeah. and I can comfortably tell you as much as there are legit... Uh, educational institutions in our field of vocational education I know of educational institutions or vocational RTOs which are completely fraud in Australia Australia. oh for sure so it exists everywhere I've qualified for some of them (laughs) <laughs> Why am I not surprised, Andrew? <laughs> I thought you were going to say you run them. Yeah. No, but um, like you can buy degrees. So it, it can happen anywhere. Mm. You know, I mean, there are people who are buying degrees in, in Australia. It, it could be in US or it could be anywhere. Yeah. Right? Uh, as much as good as I happening, suspect the risk of a, bad happening. <laughs> I suspect the risk of a dodgy degree is higher in India than Australia. That's but you know what was also very comforting when I, uh, 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 when I went to to my visits to Canberra Hospital or Bruce Cavalry Hospital, uh, every top surgeon, most of them are Indians. Well, um, I, I, was, I was my brother. So you are anyways at the mercy of the Indian doctors. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm trying to conclude here. My, my, my brother was telling me about this stand-up comedian he saw and, and the stand-up comedian was saying, I think he was an Asian dude and he was like saying, don't go to an Asian doctor they're the worst doctors and he's like yeah. think about it like every Asian kid their parents tell them they have to study really hard to become doctors so they don't want to even want to become doctors he's like what you need is like you know some doctor from the hood it's like those guys really wanted to be doctors it's like uh, my, my wife used yes. to have this thing where like she'd prefer male hairdressers she's like you know like to, to make it as a male hairdresser you really had to want to become a hairdresser so these guys odds are going to be good it's not the default for a dude to be a male hairdresser but anyway, it is good that there's um, strengthening ties between our countries. Hopefully, we have a long, healthy relationship. Mm. And, and, and um, obviously, our podcast is a crucial part of that. <laughs> uh, long, healthy relationships. Yeah, sweet. Well, that's that's all I have for this week, guys. You got any, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I just, I'm, I'm excited, um, even though it's like, you know, I guess um, crisis porn. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with this banking thing. Um, in what sense like well the the one is it a contagion that spreads to bank runs and what do the politicians do that's that's the one that kind of really gets me like how do the politicians navigate this like if a bank run spreads then something has to be done theoretically but it's like very bad optics i think for the democrats to like bail out the rich yeah like it goes so much against their rhetoric recently so but they probably will at the end of the day. You got to pay the piper, right? So. And so, in, in terms of like, I always ask this question, but as a retail investor in Australia, like, what's what 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 am I, what can I look forward to, or what's what's going to happen? Well, I mean, 
Well, how does it affect Australia? Like the, the stock market will definitely drop. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I, I would expect shares will be lower on Monday. Yeah, uh, until there's an announcement saying the situation is under control, and then risk off. Um, cash is king. Yep. As long as you don't have too much of it in that bank. Um, but yeah, <laughs> risk off, and maybe gold goes up too. It's interesting to see gold up two percent and the Australian dollar down. Um, you know, maybe one to be percent. Like American dollar is stronger because um, that's risk off and, and gold stronger because that's risk off as well. So. Yeah. And then the thing is, it's like, you know, they were supposed to, it was like 80% odds according to some metric that there was going to be a 50 basis point rate hike mm. um, by the Fed this month. Mm-hmm. And now that's um, like at 40% or something. And some people are saying there needs to be a 100% base, um, basis point drop um, to to stop the systemic problem because in the banking that, that's system. That's in, the interesting thing. If if you're if you're in a situation where the Fed has to reverse before inflation's under control. Yeah. So then so, you get so inflation, lower rates, and and forced to essentially do quantitative easing to bail out banks. Mm. Um, it's the moment well, Peter Schiff's been waiting for. <laughs> Like this is this is the Peter Schiff type, type well, yeah, of yeah, moment, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, where where they they don't beat inflation yep. and they pump money into the system, system and they have to they're, yeah they're forced to reverse the 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 situation and then kind of you, you end up with inflation taking off and and uh, and you know rates are kind of can't catch up. Mm. And here's the other thing, right? It's like um, Elizabeth Warren said to the Federal Reserve dude Powell, he's like, you know. How do you explain to the two million people who are going to lose their jobs mm. to stop inflation that this is okay? Mm. Um, you know, what about those two million people that lose their jobs? Because um, the idea is, like, you know, they need to lower inflation, and they need, and that's going to result in lower employment. Um, it's a good question, like, you know, and it's usually the you know poorer people who are the ones who are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, that was. And, um, uh, I was listening to the ABC podcast. Mm. They were talking to Alan Kohler, and he said like that exact mm. point that it's like it's he, he doesn't agree with it in that sense because. Yeah, you're, you're, you're doing it to increase mortgage stress and, and put people in into misery. Mm. Yeah, it's so, so it's the poorest people who bear the burden. Mm. And, and in this case, again, why not just let that bank fail? Mm. It's like if there needs to be a burden borne, if there needs to be loss in the system um, to lower inflation, why not let the guys who made the mistakes be the ones who lower inflation? Let them be the unemployed. And also, you had all these white-collar people you know, looking down their noses at working class people who, you know, have to be out in physical locations for jobs during COVID. You know, these guys can't work in lockdown and they're, you know, criticising lockdown policy, you know, vilified for their views on COVID or whatever. But a lot of them, you know, cynical or whatever, they, they, they need to earn money. And and the white collar who could work remotely seem to be, you know, quite elitist and dismissive of the concerns of those people. And those, those same people are the ones who are probably going to be losing their jobs in this um, re- recession that is supposed to happen that was caused by inflation that was um, caused by um, lockdowns so it's like the, 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 these poor people seem to be screwed from every direction lockdowns screw them the solution to lockdowns then says oh now you got to lose your job because um, you know apparently inflation and may- maybe it's time for some of the white collar people on you know decent money and, and having dreams of startups maybe maybe it's just the karma it's not karma's in the next life though isn't it so but something I, like that karma applies to this life as well oh does it <laughs> yeah it does oh, right. yeah, not you only go. do your next life and the seven lives after that as well. 
So, that's yeah, why it's called it, a bitch. It, yeah, it'd be, yeah, that's why it's called a bitch. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to, to see what happens with that, the politics and just actually, you know, how far it spreads. But yeah, I think it's risk off until there's an announcement. Um, my personal expectation is um, that there'll be a thing bailing the depositors out. I reckon the deposits will be made whole. So uh, what, what what happens in that instance? The, the well, people don't learn is what happens. So, in that like the, so the government <laughs> like literally hands over money to cover what what's missing. Yeah, somehow there's some funding on that. Whether it's like the you know I don't know enough, but like maybe the Fed says, all right, we'll just pay the face value now of these bonds. The bonds were a yeah, hundred dollars right. or whatever. We'll just pay the face value, something like that. I don't know. Will there be any uh, golden umbrellas out of this? Um, well, apparently with that Dodd-Frank thing, they can actually claw back bonuses executive gave them, executives gave themselves and stuff. So yeah, okay. um, I, I don't know. But yeah, I think, I, think, I think the thing will be the Bill Ackmans of the world pushing the hysteria of a bank run, mm. um, probably to cover their own asses ultimately, will we'll end up you know, making that the political outcome that there is um, some sort of um, making everyone whole before there is a bank run. And, like, you're already, like, kind of seeing stuff, like, you know, well, media for me is Twitter, but, like, there's, like, news things. So it's, like, spreading that, you know, people are lining up there's going to be a bank run. And the more the media pushes bank run, the more I feel like the government's going to have to stop any potential of a bank run. Mm. And in fact, if I'm really cynical, if I'm someone who's really well-connected and in power, I'm getting people hysteric about a bank run to force the government's hand to bail these guys out. Mm. So if I'm heavily exposed to Silicon Valley banks um, screw up through like being in venture capital or owning you know um, tech stocks or whatever that are exposed to this risk, then I want to put the fear of God into the population. So the population calls all the politicians saying you better stop this bank run, and it just bails me out anyway. But you know I'm, I'm just incredibly cynical. So do you think there could be a short sell opportunity which could present itself from Monday onwards and other small banks? Well, the thing is, right, I think if anything, you should be buying call options. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so not, not short selling, but going long, okay. buying call options. Um, people, I expect, will be expecting crap to hit the fan. Yeah. The thing would be, bet on politicians being cowards. That's a safer and bet and bailing the banks yeah. out. Yeah. So and you're just blowing your yeah. money on that. So, like, money. so what would my thing? Yeah. I'd be buying slowly out-of-the-money call options on um, a basket of um, mid-sized banks, yeah. you know, ones that are probably going to be okay regardless. Or even that, even the most marginal. I'd just be doing a spread. I'd be buying call options on a whole bunch of bank stuff that is slightly out of the money. Like some person apparently put, put options on this bank for $17,500 that are worth $3 million now or something. So like some yeah. someone shorted it, bought put yeah. options out of the money puts like five six days ago, and it's gone up like three three hundred times in price or something. So and we're not giving investment advice. No, so definitely yeah. not giving investment <laughs> advice. Just but if I was if I was interested in playing it and I was sophisticated, I'd be interested in doing the the counter um, thing, which would be instead of being incredibly <laughs> fearful. Um, low exposure, small bet, like, you know, maybe half a cent of my portfolio or something on calls for banks out of the money. Mm. See what happens. Mm. Sweet. Interesting. I think we might wrap it up there. Yep. Yeah. Definitely not advice, though. Don't take that as advice. I'm pointing at the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks heaps, guys. Disclaimer. The information discussed on this podcast is for general information only. 
It should not be taken as constituting professional advice from Andy, James, Tavon Andre or any guest they may speak with. We are not your financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how the information discussed on this podcast relates to your unique circumstances. We are not liable for any loss caused, whether due to negligence or otherwise arising from the use of, or reliance on, the information discussed directly or indirectly on Andy, James, Pavan and Andre Talk Money Stuff. Music by Grand Projects and R.E.D. Productions from Pixabay. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode.